Hi, and welcome to On The Road. I'm your host, Rick Courier. This is the podcast where you get to join me for coffee and cocktails with tech partner marketers. Together, we learn from their experience and have a little fun. In today's episode, I travel to San Francisco to meet with Hondo Lewis, Senior Director of Sales at Foundry. I really wanted Hondo on the show as he personally works with partner marketers at the world's largest tech companies. He also leads a team supporting partner marketers at small to mid-sized tech companies. Hondo works on every type of partner marketing program imaginable and has unique insight into what's working and not working. We also get a little personal as Hondo gets me talking about my experience in Hurricane Katrina. But that's what we do on the show. We keep it real. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me. Do you want to keep making fun of my notebook and the notes? <laughs> like, I felt like we should have just recorded that from the beginning. Which is fine. I mean, it's, look, your book's yours. <laughs> I, had, I had Hondo and, and Dan behind the camera. You know, Dan saying I'm actually taking real notes on these shows, and you think I'm just scribbling funny faces. Yeah, I mean, look, you believe what you believe. <laughs> We're good. We're good. Uh, I see you wore the Col- Colorado uniform. Like myself today. Yes. For for those listening and, and not watching the video, we're both wearing plaid. How would you yes. how would you explain the Colorado uniform? Um, well, Colorado uniform is definitely plaid, some jeans, and a nice beard. I see you're about to start growing yours out. It's about the season to start growing it out. So what's the difference between a Colorado uniform and like the nineties grunge scene? Seems like the exact same thing. A lot of times we see vests. You'd wear a vest too, right? Is that the difference? <laughs> There might be a vest involved there, and there could be some boots. I know we're both wearing comfortable shoes today because um, we're walking around and, you know. A lot of plaid in Colorado, though. A lot of plaid in Colorado. <laughs> a lot your, of plaid. How's your drink? I don't know. Let me see. Well, a little stiff. Dude, no, it's good. I can tell you were uh, a bartender once <laughs> in your life. You know? You know you know how to treat your, your, your regulars. I just, I just had... Carlos, or Carlos Roman on from uh, Okta, and we were talking about that. This, this is going to air a couple weeks after that. But, uh, yeah, we talked a little bit about my, about my bartending days okay. in New Orleans. Yeah. Um, I feel like the hair of the dog right now is what I need, though, because we, <laughs> we had a little fun last night. We did have some fun last night. You um, know, always have fun when we're in market together. I don't think I told you. I might have. Um, so when I went to the bathroom at the bar and I came back, well, I don't know if you saw, there was a sailor and a Marine in the bar. Near us. This is a joke? And it sounds like the start of the joke. <laughs> sailor and Marine walk into a bar. No, but it's Fleet Week here in San Francisco. Correct. And there was a Sailor and Marine at the, at the bar. They're sitting at their own little table. And so I went to the bathroom and I came back and I saw the bartender. And I said, I want to, I want to pay for their drinks. I want, to, I want to take care of their tab. Nice. Like, just, just keep it anonymous. Absolutely. You know, just a little thank you. Um, and so he hands me an $80 bill. I, I pay the bill. And then I go sit back down and they're gone. And I was like, that's weird. Maybe they're just out having a smoke or something, or maybe they're both in the bathroom. They never returned. So I think one of two things either happened. Either they skipped out on their tab, or the bartender just messed with me and just gave me an $80 tab and just sure. gave a tip. I don't He's know. He's like, yeah, you can pay for what they left out on. <laughs> <laughs> so I like to think I did a good thing, but I don't know. Maybe I either. <laughs> well, whatever. You, uh, it was good stimulus for the economy. Yeah, yeah. For the bar. Well, I, I'm really happy that you're on the show. I think you have, um, you know, the show tends to have more customers on, but sure. you, you have a unique experience 
working with partner marketers at, at various different companies. And I want to dive into that, dive into your experience there, because you see a breadth of programs, a breadth of organizations. Sure. But first, you're no stranger to performing and being behind the camera. <laughs> so like, let's talk a little bit about your background, your performance background. You used to, okay. you used to tour. I think, yeah, sure. I mean, that's, is that, I used to do some local touring uh, within the uh, lower 50, <laughs> or the lower 48, as you will. Um, you know, here in the Bay Area, uh, I used to have a band. Um, I was a singer. Uh, lead singer did uh, percussions as well. Um, band, we, na band name. <laughs> band name was Soul Americano. Love it. Uh, we did Afro Latin funk, uh, rock and roll. Um, yeah, it was fun. It was it was good good times during the early two thousands. Yeah, and uh, we definitely rocked San Francisco a lot. The Bay Area. Did you ever uh, play at the Fillmore? Never played at the Fillmore. Okay. Um, but did play at the, what's the place that was here on the market? Um, is it the wa Warfield? The w Warfield, yeah. We're at the Warfield. Nice, that's, um, a huge, that's a huge venue. Yeah, we get, look, we got lucky on some occasions. We knew some friends. It, it was just, you know, the music uh, community is very small, very tight. So it was, uh, yeah, it was good times. It nice. was definitely good times. To your, so, so for everyone, Hondo has uh, older, well, I don't know, what you call them, older kids, but they're in high school. Sure. Um, did they ever see your videos or see you performing? Yeah, you know, there was fun. One time we, uh, um, God, what's the name of the venue? It's uh, Yoshi's. We yeah, played okay. Yoshi's. Great uh, jazz club. And this was probably after us being together for a little while. We'd taken a little hiatus. And I had a buddy coming in. My bass player came in from out of town. And we were living in Oakland at the time. And he came walking up the stairs with his bass uh, in his hand. Um, the base case, he was walking up, and my kids were in the windows. They're probably four or five years old, maybe even three, four years old, and they're like, there's a rock star, rock star's walking up, the rock star's rocking up. And I was like, sure, yeah, we're, okay, yeah, we're rock stars. Um, so it, yeah, we, there was fun moments. Um, we, we played uh, some pretty good venues, uh, House of Blues LA, House of Blues Chicago, um, met some really cool people around, along the way, and yeah, it was a good time. So when your son thinks he's he's the top dog playing sports, do you remind him you're a rock star? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, and of my uh, of my uh, my youth sports um, career. Oh, I love it! I love it. <laughs> By the way, for the people watching the video, I think we need to just explain what is going on in this table because I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> Do you well, want to explain it? Sure. I mean, what I, I think if you are a whiskey connoisseur or bourbon drinker of any, if you've imbibed whiskey, um, I'm sure at some point you've had a, uh, a bourbon and ginger. Oh, Jack and ginger, yeah. Well, when, you said, when you said Basil Hayden, I'm like, oh, that'd be nice. We'll sip on some Basil Hayden. Basil yeah. Hayden and ginger ale, I, I don't know. I feel like some people are tuning uh, out right look, now. Look, I mean, if Basil Hayden's your high, that's your high. <laughs> that's fine with me. I mean, Basil Hayden's in the well in my house. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> well, I got to tell you, it's going down a little too smooth. So we'll see where... We'll see where it goes. Like, I'll, I'll, I will monitor you. We'll be slurring our speech by the end of this this podcast. Possibly. So, all right. So I want to talk a little bit more about your, your role here at Foundry. You know, like I said, I wanted you on the show because... You personally uh, call on some of the top tech companies in the world and support their partner marketing teams, but you also, you know, run a sales team that's working with more mid-sized, smaller companies and supporting their their partner marketing sure. teams. And so you see a lot. So, 
you know, why don't you give the audience just a little background on, on you know, your career and kind of how you got here and, and what you're doing day to day? Yeah, so, I mean, I, 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 I cut my teeth in on more of the uh, consumer side of the business, you know, driving, driving traffic to retailers. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, to be quite transparent, I, I cut my teeth in the, uh, in the newspaper world. As I've been around for a while. Um, then were, went over were to... Were you going to, like, like, stores and getting them to run ads? Getting, going to stores, getting them to run ads. Uh, that's, that's real sales. Oh, that was real sales. <laughs> I cut my teeth. And, it, you know, it, it was one of those uh, times where um, it was kind of a boiler room, you know, because we'd be, we'd, we'd have cell blitzes every day for an hour you had to make a hundred calls in that hour oh, it was man. it was mandated um so you definitely you you were you were a warrior and you know on top of that you were going to see your customers at their storefronts um you know various storefronts because it was a news weekly so yeah. it was really about the community community paper community um stuff that was happening here um and then i moved over to the glossy world uh the city mags um, was national um, national rep um, that was handling auto finance um, liquor. <laughs> um, so had some really great relationships out there, and then I moved over to uh, to B two B, and that's where you and I kind of uh, started our relationship. And what was that transition like for you? You know, it was it was a pretty awesome transition because I was no longer selling the dream. Um, when it comes to, to B2C, there's a lot of selling, you know, s selling the dream. Here, it was definitely selling data, yeah. you know, selling real data. You know, there was, there was, it was quantifiable. Um, there, was, there was something real about it. It's like I was delivering actual um, outcomes yeah. for people. I, I'm not, I don't know about your specific experience selling retail in the newspaper, but I have a really, really good friend. He, uh, he works in Amazon advertising now, um, but he used to do radio sales. Mm. And he said it was so tough because he would go to these like mom and pop businesses, you know, like plumbers, and, and they would take like their entire savings for the company and put it in like a radio ad. Yeah. You know, and he just, you know, and, and I'm not saying it was unsuccessful every time, but like that was really hard for him because, you know, you're, you're getting these small family businesses to invest a lot. Yeah, you, you know? learn a lot about the small business world and just the, the fabric. I mean, because that's really what is America's built on, right? Yeah. Um, it's just a lot of small businesses and how well they do and how well they're supported in the community. So it was, there was tough times sometimes, yeah. you know, where you're just like, oh man, I don't even know if I should be selling to you. Um, I don't know if you're going to be in business in six months. Yeah. Um, so learned a lot, um, brought a lot of those learnings and probably a lot of the empathy over, you know, with me into, um, into B2B and, Really, you know, it's like I, I feel I, it, it was one of those eye-opening moments for me um, coming over to the B2B world of just like, oh, great. I can actually deliver on what I promise. Yeah, yeah. All right, so you, you came over to B2B, started learning it. I think you were at an individual contributor at that time and yep. then got back into management, which you've done in the past. Yep. What was kind of the, the entryway into the partner marketing side for you? Yeah, so I was working um, with our global um, solutions team. So really, you know, handling a lot of the global because we were kind of siloed at that point, as you know. And so through that, I got to 
get a glimpse of the partner marketing world. And I was like, wow, that's interesting because there's a whole ecosystem that's happening over there. It's not just, uh, and this is really, you know, what was this? Let's say we've really been, hmm, let's say 2019. 2019, 2020. We call that pre-pandemic. Uh, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> we call it pre-pandemic. Um, and it's this I, for I think for our company, this is really where we started kind of opening our eyes to partner marketing. Yeah. Um, and that that was a it was an eye-opening moment for me because it was really where companies were stopping the incremental growth of their companies and really going to exponential growth. And that's really comes down to partner marketing and the ecosystems behind each one of those companies, right? So, you know, the average large enterprise company has hundreds, if not thousands of partners, right? The, how they build, you know, off of all their solutions and products um, and how they help each other get into businesses, technology stacks. Yeah. All right. So let me ask you this, because the, the companies that you're directly working with or ones you're supporting through your team, you work on the direct side and the partner marketing side. Mm -hmm. What do you like most about the partner marketing side? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think what I really like about the partner marketing side and working with partner marketers is the collaboration that needs to happen for the partnership to be successful. Mm. Um, collaboration, so with collaboration you have communication, strong communication. Um, and just, you know, just that spirit of let's, let's build together. You know, so I work a lot on helping kind of that go-to-market story for the partners to be, you know, to go out to market and, and tell their story, like why are their combined technologies the best solution for XYZ businesses? It almost pulls into the the empathy approach that you've you learned through retail, right? Yeah. And like you can't, you know, collaboration is a word that we throw around so casually in this industry. But you know, I think for true co collaboration, you need to be empathetic. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Because I mean, look, there's especially on the partner marketing side, they don't always get the resources of the brand side of the business. So a lot of these partner marketers are kind of jack of all trades and they're wearing multiple hats and a lot of times they have to pull their partners along. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because on the direct side you'll see there's, you know, you got content marketers, product marketers, social marketers, all these things. And you go to the partner marketing side, a lot of times with these companies, they're doing it all. They're doing it all. Right? They're and wearing multiple hats. Across multiple partners. Yeah, and we saw this year those number of partners went up. Right. Right? And so it's just, it's, it's a challenge. Right. And, you know, in my last interview, you know, he said, we got to do more with less. And, and someone said it best. And I, I said this with, the, I think, in the interview with John Gallant, it, it's really you got to achieve more with less. Right. Because you still got to deliver on results. Still got to uh, deliver on results for sure. Um, I think that's a, an interesting perspective there, because what we're seeing in the marketplace is that there's such a scrutiny that's happening with conversion. So there's lots of things that are changing of how you define um, what is qualified and what's not qualified and what needs to go down the funnel and what gets pushed over to a sales team, right? So the scrutiny um, has increased across the board 
and even more so with with the partner marketing side of the business. Hmm. Now, is it in your experience? How hard is it for a lot of the partner marketers to actually measure and follow that, right? So they're, they're sending over leads to partners. I feel like sometimes they lose visibility. They do lose visibility. Um, so it, it really depends on the approach. And, and that's where they, it's about managing the partner and managing expectations. And that's where communication comes in, in is so key, yeah. um, of having that co-partnership. Um, it's one thing to have a partnership, but to be co-partners, right? It's like you're both leaning in at the same degree not one leaning more forward than the other and the other one kind of saying, yeah, you know, you do this, you're better at it than me, or you've got more ends with your sales leaders, yada, yada, yada. It's both people leaning in and, and working collaboratively with each other and learning from, from another. Because I think this is, you know, that's that's the big biggest thing is, is like taking learnings from one another. And I think the ecosystem of, of partner marketing, that's what's going on really well is the learnings they're taking from each other. And that's why we're seeing this really scale. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point of the show, right? To to get people on and we can learn from each other. And you know, one of the things I love is I'll get guests walking out the door and they're like, you know, I was just talking to this other partner marketer. I think they'd be great for this show. Sure. Right, and and I I think the realization of like what this show is and just how we're just trying to like dive in and talk about what's working and not working. and. Realizing like the value that comes from that discussion and that we're sharing it with everybody. Yeah. I want more people to, you know, they're like, walk out like I want my peers to participate in this and, and, and share their experience. Absolutely. Why wouldn't you want to talk to an ex bartender? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't even know where to go from there. Uh, <laughs> all right. So it, it's been a it's been a tough year for a lot of different people. Challenging. Yeah. Challenging year. What are what are some challenges? Um, you know, common challenges. And I think it's, you know, I want to put that to you because you work with the top companies and you also work with, with smaller startups and everything in between. Are you seeing common challenges regardless of how sophisticated these, these, these organizations are? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's, you know, resources is the major difference, right? Um, you have a larger company, there's, there's more resources. There's less resources at, at a smaller company, but they're all, they all have the same challenges. You know, it's it's really trying to get a partner to just to align. Really, you know, it's it's uh, again. I think it just uh, it'll be a reoccurring theme here in Word. It's just collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. Um, how can you communicate to your partner to have the same uh, urgency that you have about your needs? That's so, that's so tricky, the it's, urgency stuff. Because yeah. I see it all the time where you know, I'll work with, with a customer who has the urgency and then the partner just does not and the thing just stalls, right? And, yep. they're, and they're watching the clock on the MDF that needs to be spent. That's a challenge. That's a real challenge it's out a real there. It's challenge. shared urgency. Yep. Right? I feel like they feel our sales pain, right? Because we're trying to get the deals in and then <laughs> we feel an urgency that they don't, right? So, but, but we see it on the partner side, you know? One partner's got the urgency, the other doesn't. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and it's, it's just aligning agendas, right? It's just like making sure from, from, from the start that there's an alignment. Like this is, we, we have a common goal. Do we agree on that? Great, we agree on that. Now here's how we're going to proceed. Are we good with this? Communication. Communication. Sounds like that's key. It's 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 key. I mean, that's I, I hear it from some of the the greatest um, partner marketers out there, and that's their biggest struggle is co partnership. 
is having a partner that is aligned that aligned together. And then you got to scale it. Yeah, and then you got to scale it. And, I th- and I think that's less of a challenge. The biggest challenge is that co-partnership. If you have the co-partnership, then you're both leaning forward and you're both equal and your teams are are probably going to be the same. They're going to mirror that action. Unless you have 10, 20, 30 partners, right? Then it's like, how much time in the day do I have sure. to create that per partner? So depending upon what, whether you're talking about alliance, whether you're talking about channel, yeah. uh, channel starts to get a lot more challenging because you're talking about managing hundreds of partners, right, at once. Um, you know, if not thousands of partners. But really from a partner marketing perspective, it's usually, you know, less than 100 that you're, that you're giving, providing a white glove service to. Everything else is kind of running through their portal, and that's, that's just kind of how it works. All right, a couple, couple areas I want to dig in on there. Let's, let's, let's start the portal first. What are you seeing as some of the challenges with the portals out there, and, you know, portals as in self-service, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you have a destination where partners can come in and pick programs and activate and run themselves use MDF. What are some of the, the core challenges that you're seeing and, and what are you seeing work out there? Yeah, I think some of the challenges with the portal is driving partners to the channel, educating them on what are the services available from the different agency vendors, um, whether that is a true agency, whether that is a publisher agency, um, they kind of define everybody within a portal as an agency vendor. Um, so, yeah, it's really just getting activity within the portal. That's the biggest challenge. Um, and then I think the next biggest challenge is to actually get partners to utilize MDF. And is anything working in terms of getting MDF? Because I know it, it, it's been a challenging year in the sense that a lot of budgets were cut. Did yeah. we have we seen that push partners and more likely utilize MDF or, or is it actually getting harder because they can't match those dollars? Matching dollars is a challenge, but I think you can simplify it, and we try to simplify this with all of our um, our partners within the portal. Is this by creating easy, easily easy programs? Yeah. Okay. Just really easy programs, something that you can easily digest and say, okay, we can we can scale this. This is this is something that's scalable, um, you know, and, and making it easy for them to look at and say, oh, this isn't a fifty thousand dollar buy. This is a five thousand dollar buy. I can easily do ten thousand because I'm getting matched. Yada yada yada. Um, just really making it easy and also understanding what they what they want. They got to drive. Most partner marketers have to drive pipeline. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of, of easy and scale, going back to channel now, mm-hmm. channel, a, a, lot, a lot of time you're dealing with very small regional resellers, not necessarily a ton of, you know, sophisticated skills that you might see at some of these larger tech companies, sure. you know, lack of resources. So what's working in terms of scaling results when you're working with a bigger company who's got <laughs> a big channel network and they need to scale programs? Um, well, it's kind of understanding the the resources of, of the channel partners. Um, do they have a nurture automation system in place? Um, is it 
going directly to a sales team and they're making phone calls? Is Does that sales team actually have a cadence in place? Do they have a, a, a diverse cadence in place? Are they using email? Are they using social? Are they using a combination with the phone calls? Um, so understanding that to go in and, and understand that relationship, that's how you can make it easy, but it's having those conversations with a channel marketer of who who are your more strategic partners and that's probably the best place to start but also having a solution for the ones that aren't as advanced or strategic um, and that's where our, our SDS team comes into play. And so they're baking it into the programs for the, the partners that don't have that, that resource or skill set. Absolutely. So, so what, does it, what does that look like? So, you know, here at Foundry we have our strategic, um, our, our sales development team our SDS team, um, strategic services. So they can act as that extension of a BDR. Okay. Um, SDR, however you want to define it. Um, so we give them that they can go in, they can do a two to three day onboarding, learn about their um, brand, their products, their solutions, get educated. Um, they're already kind of experts at different solutions and topics already because uh, we're doing it for multiple companies all the time. Um, so we just kind of onboard to that specific brand speak, and then we, like I said, we become the extension of that um, of that company's BDR. And because um, we because we have a um, because we've got skin in the game, we can probably deliver better than their BDR teams, and we've we've proved that. Interesting. I want to hit the pause button to ask if you received your latest customer engagement research from Foundry, home of global editorial brands like CIO.com. Did you know that 87% of tech decision makers say that it's challenging to find high quality content when looking to make a tech purchase? Customer engagement is actually one of my favorite tech reports as it dives into the content consumption habits of tech decision makers. And it helps marketers understand the challenges and opportunities when marketing to tech buyers. The report goes into detail on how content's been consumed to help make purchase decisions and how those consumption habits change based on the buying persona and where people are in the purchase process. Learn how to drive greater results through your marketing activities through the insights of Foundry's Customer Engagement Study. Get your free copy of Foundry's Customer Engagement Study by heading over to foundryco.com slash on the road. That's foundryco, F-O-U-N-D-R-Y-C-O dot com forward slash on the road. And don't forget, if you want to support the show, subscribe to our new YouTube channel or give us a rating, like, or even a comment on your favorite podcast platform. Cheers. So switch gears a little bit. That's some of the challenges with, with the channel. Um, you know, working with a number of partner marketers this year, where have you seen them crush it? Like, where are they doing really well? Like, what are you seeing in terms of best practices, programs that are performing really well, results? What do those look like? <sighs> That's a really great question. Um, Thank you. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, where are they crushing it? In, 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 in what means? Oh, where are you seeing success? in terms of the programs that you're working with partner marketers? Um, well, I think the best success is really coming from a brand to demand perspective. Um, any program that we can, you know, any solution that we can 
put together for, for partner marketers that has um, a opportunity for content consumption um, of, of gated and ungated. You know, we've got our solution out there called the Brand Hub. Um, that's, that's what's really working um, because that's providing, that's, that's delivering the best ROI. It's the best lead to opportunity conversion solution that we have. Um, and that's why we've kind of pivoted to our, our content hubs, whether that's from a lower level um, visionaire solution or upwards to our brand hub solutions. It's really that content consumption that's driving, um, driving the conversions. You know what's most interesting about brand hub, and, and this is why I love the partner marketing side, that is a big product for Foundry. I think we have a 90% renewal rate on that. It was a partner marketer at, it was two, two partner marketers at Intel, um, Billy Goldman and, um, and uh, uh, Michelle, oh, why am I blinking on Michelle's last name? Uh, Michelle McGarry. Right. Um, they took a risk and they jumped in with a product for, it didn't exist at the time. They basically came to us in 2020 and said. Had a different name. Yeah, it, it did. It, it didn't exist. They said, we, we need to run a big program with our top data center partners, right? And we want to control the messaging, um, but we also want like partners to be able to opt in and, and create their own sub-themes within it. Right. And, um, you know, basically we, we created a, I don't even want to call it a microsite, but it was a destination related to CIO.com. They had an umbrella theme, and then underneath it, the partners could opt in with their sub-themes, right? And right. so the theme was... Boundless Agility, John Gallant, our editorial consultant, created it. And the partners came in with their own sub-themes, and every, every sub-theme was a little mini partner program right. with its own deliverables, its own content, its own lead guarantees. And, it, you know, incredibly successful program. We, I think we were in, um, you know, every region of the world. We created 97 pieces of content, thousands of leads. And very successful in the sense that what it did was it drove digital engagements, and I think that's a different, that's a big difference between leads, right? Because right. somebody comes in, they fill out a form, become a lead. Did they read the content? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Right? And that's why, you know, as a company, we've moved away from reg forms and, and really focusing on digital engagements with content, right? Because we, we want people to actually read the content, and that's going to be a better sales follow-up. And so credit to those two. They took a risk, you know, they, they worked with us on something that didn't exist. We created that for, for Intel and now it's become a whole product for us. And right. we're doing a lot on the partner marketing side because at the end of the day, when we see that we can educate and nurture an audience and then deliver a lead, it's more likely to convert for sales. Absolutely, uh, 100%. Um, and that's what we're seeing. I mean, that's, that's the, uh, the buy-in that we're getting from a lot of our, our customers is that it, what you said. You know, it's 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 about the the content consumption. It's about uh, digital engagement, um, and really, they can come in with with especially with like a brand hub or even with with our visionary. Either one of our content hubs, they can kind of gravitate towards the content that they are ready to consume. Yeah, yeah, and I think just to take it away from Foundry for a minute, but just to talk about partner marketing in general, thinking about the efforts they're working on. You know, a lot of times you're passing leads over to partners that, that may not have the same, market, like you said, marketing automation systems. They, they might not have the same nurture paths, right? How can you take it in your own power to make sure that when you're passing over a lead, there's been a lot of touches with content. There's been some sort of education or nurture right. pre-lead, 
right? And sometimes you have to bake that into the program so that when you hand over the lead, you've kind of done the nurture due diligence and maybe it's more sales, sales ready lead. But I do want to touch upon when I say sales ready lead, I think 20, I don't know, it was, maybe it was 2022. It's hard to say if 2022 was the year of MQL or if it was 2023, but you're starting to see a shift. And I want to, I want to dive into this a little bit because I've heard you come to me and you're hearing more things in the market saying, we're moving away from MQL. I don't, I don't know that we're moving away from MQL. I think MQL is a ever-moving target or definition within, within, the, uh, within the industry. I, I, I think what we're seeing now is MQL is further down the funnel than, we, than we've traditionally and historically had it. MQL the has expectation been the expectation of an MQL, should be marketing qualified lead. Um, and historically, historically, it's, it's, it's been, been very top funnel. Okay, I think it's much more mid funnel now, and what has replaced it is what I'm hearing a lot in the marketplace is INQ or inquiry. Okay, so that is kind of uh, that's kind of replaced the MQL, and now MQL is really considered has this contact, has this lead raised their hands for a demo? Have they raised their hand to talk to sales? that's where an MQL is now. It's like, okay, this person is actually interested. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I was with a, a top, top cloud company and um, they said they're not, they're done with content syndication. Mm. Done with it. He said, it, I think the quote, he said, it's dead to us. It's dead to <laughs> and, us. Uh, but you know, they're, they're not done buying leads, but the way, the way he described it was, content syndication is, is expensive list buying. Sure. Right. And where they're really moving towards is, is driving digital engagements, mm -hmm. right? Which kind of mirrors where we're going, right? Because we're, we're, we're guaranteeing more leads that have actually engaged with content, right? Right. Because that's, that's what really matters at the end of the day. Like filling out a form shows intent. But again, it's really hard. And we've all heard from sales saying the lead doesn't remember ever reading this piece of content. Well, the reality is a lot of times with the content syndication companies out there, they're not reading the content. Yet, right. The reality is there's a lot of companies out there where they're just calling people up saying, are you interested in this? Sending it over, filling out the form online and the person never reads it, right? And so this guy's content syndication is dead to us. Like, yeah, we might still do it, but for us, it's more like list building, you know? And where we're really focusing is on driving digital engagements because right. that's going to move the needle on pipeline. No, I, I you know, I'm, I'm hearing a mix of that in the marketplace. I don't... I think the more sophisticated you are in your nurture stream, the more you, you would lean towards that approach. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, in our jobs, we do work with a lot of advertising agencies, mm -hmm. more on the direct side. And those advertising agencies tend to, you know, handle everything for, for their customers on the, on the tech side, right? The, the, the corporate marketing, field marketing, in terms of putting together the, the brief, the, you know, planning the programs, the execution, the reporting. Right. We tend not to see that, that full packaged service on the partner marketing side. Why is that? Partner marketing is complex, right? And, and it goes back to what I was saying in regards to a collaborative co-partner approach, right? And there can't be a tri-partner approach and that agency would bring that try into that relationship, right? And from what I've seen, from what I've heard from partner marketers, agencies just don't work within 
the mix of partner marketing. Um, they don't get it, they don't understand it, not to say that they couldn't, but partner marketers, there's enough cooks in the kitchen, if you will, um, for them to say, yeah, I, we, we can't add this in. We, we can't add an agency in for, to execute and do this. Um, if The only time I've ever really seen it is when they've just been act, absolutely bandwidth and resource strapped. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost like counterintuitive, right? Because when I think about all the marketers we work with, right, we work a lot of different buyers, field marketers, event marketers, content marketers, go down the list. Right. Nobody needs help more than the partner marketer, not because they don't know what they're doing, but just because they have, like I said, they're wearing many hats right. across many different partners, right? If anybody needed an ad agency to help them, it's the partner marketer. It's the partner marketers. Yeah, and, and they're also set up to not be successful with a lot of the ad agencies, based, I think, based on the current ad agency model out there. Um, but I almost, I almost feel like that's a, it's a need in the market. If some, some of these ad agencies could figure it out, and I know we at Foundry have, have you know, more or less provided that service value add to a lot of our customers in right. terms of program architecture, you know, sales material, you know, the right programs will develop that stuff. Maybe we should be charging for that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe we, uh, we get a little uh, revenue stream. Yeah, we'll have to talk to uh, our new CEO, and maybe we'll carve out a little more business unit. But by and large, that's, that's been the practice we've developed here, right? Global um, partner solutions. It's just developing you know, resources and tools to help our customers be successful and really scale results. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to plug us, but I, I think that is really a need in the market that's not being fulfilled. There's a lot of partner marketers over out there that need to develop program frameworks. They need to scale it. They need to scale it globally. They need to scale it globally while also being regionally relevant, right? You can't just do a one-size-fits-all. And it's got to be branded demand. You know, some places it might be awareness. Other places it might be events. Sometimes it's leads. Sometimes it's appointment setting. And then I got to do it across multiple partners. Yep, and, and you know it's funny that you say that because there there are some companies out there um, that incorporate that into their 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 portal, their de their demand center, if you will. Um, so they have teams internally that are there to support. So they're getting best practices from the vendors that they work with, and they start to get feedback from you know, from companies like us that say, hey, these are the results that we're seeing out of these programs. We've ran X amount of programs. This is, you know, the conversion has been pretty much the same, anywhere from 15 to, you know, to 30%, um, depending upon the product line, depending upon the solution. Uh, and they'll take that information internally and scale it out to their teams. Like, hey, this is a program that we're seeing success from. This is where you should start to put your budget. Hmm. Is that... Is that a one-size-fit-all globally well-received in, in other regions, or do you see pushback from the regions saying, um, I don't hey, necessarily... we're, we're France, we want to do things differently here, right? Well, I mean, there's, every region wants to do things on their own, and, and they think they know their systems. They, they do. They know their regions. But there's not a partner marketer out there, I don't think, that I have met yet that is going to say no to help, yeah. to assistance. And if they can get some data points from their demand center team, whatever um, each company is calling it, they're going to take it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. You're doing all the talking. I'm doing all the drinking. I'm already out of mine. Well, you are. I, I mean, uh, you're just I, a fast drinker. I, I, you know, I'm a sipper. You're not. You know, I feel like this is going to be the first refill that I've done on, a, on an interview, but 
it's Basil Hayden. I can't. I mean, apparently, just, it's tasty. Just can't let it sit there. So as I. Uh, Camera guys looking at me like all the all this noise I'm making right now, but um, for sure. Well, tell me this, Ricky. You know, you have been you know asking all the questions, and you know I've been doing answering them as much as best I can. I didn't say you're allowed to ask me questions. Well, I'm going to ask you a question because that's what I'm here for, because I like to shake things up. Um, tell me about how you got started. Well, tell me in in media and you know in in. B2B, tell, tell me how you got started. Yeah, I'll tell you that as I don't put ginger ale into my That's my fine. delicious it's, you know, basil Hayden. Yeah, it's a, it's, a humbug. It, it, well, cheers, cheers, by the way. Cheers to you. Um, it's an interesting Katrina story, by the way. Oh, so, Katrina, taking it back to uh, yeah. Louisiana. So, typical New Orleans fashion, Going, everything's getting back, brought back to bartending these days, it's funny. Um, I, was a, I was going to my senior year at Loyola University in New Orleans. Right. Um, you know, by then I was like uh, one of the lead bartenders. Such a such a puppy. Yeah, you know, <laughs> year was two thousand five. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but typical New Orleans, right? You have this giant storm mm. offshore. It was Category Four at the time. It was Saturday night. I remember it. I was bartending, and uh, we're all watching the TV. There's hardly anybody in there, and the storm hit Category Five. Right. And it was right offshore, and. Everybody at that time in the entire city knew, oh, okay, this is the one. And it's like being out here in the Bay Area, right? Everybody right. talks about the earthquake, right? We know the next big one's coming. We don't know when, but we know it's coming. It's coming. This was it. Everybody knew. And it was just a matter of, can you get out? Can you not get out? What are you going to do if you stay? You know, and so everyone's scrambling to figure that out. But the bar was still open, right? So I, <laughs> It's New Orleans. Still, of course the bar was open. Still had a bartend, <laughs> had to close. Long story short, you know, it's, you know I, uh, I grew up in California. I moved to Atlanta in the middle of high school. You know, split parents. By the time of my senior year, I'd gotten all my stuff from my parents' house because I didn't, I had homes, but they weren't really homes anymore. Sure. And, um, you know, so I packed up my dog. I packed up everything I could in the car and left and went to Lafayette, Louisiana, which was due west. Right. Um, which is where you want to be in a hurricane because the way they rotate, right? By the time that it hits you, it's gone over land a lot. So if you're on the little bit of fact, if you're on the east side of the eye, you get hit almost twice as hard than if you're on the on the on west, the west side, side. If, you, yep. if you're inland a little bit, right? Because it's got to go grew, over land. Grew up in Houston, all the yeah. storms that came through Galveston. So we were fine, you know. We, I realized I wasn't going back to school, and this is how I got into B two B. It's kind of a weird story. Well, I wasn't going back to school. I had to, I had to get back to Atlanta where my dad lived, and we had to drive back through Louisiana up through Mississippi. All the gas stations were either out of gas or without a power. We managed to get back, and then you know this was pre-disaster recovery days, right? And and so I'm literally calling up colleges. You think about everything you went through to like apply to a school. I'm like, hey, uh, yeah, I went to Loyola. It doesn't look like I'm going back. Can I go to school with you for, you know, the semester? Sure. I have no transcripts, no proof I went to Loyola. Just, like, will you take me? <laughs> and, and so I, I went to University of San Francisco, another Jesuit school. They, they took me in. And, right. and a, lot of, a lot of the Jesuit schools were pretty good with Loyola and just accepting people. And, like, sure. we'll, we'll figure it out later. Tech Target was doing on-campus recruiting. Julie Ekstrom was doing on-campus recruiting. Okay. I saw media sales. Uh, poster. I was like, no idea what that means. You know, my dad always said, if you want to go into marketing, you should try sales first, you know, okay. cut your teeth. So I was like, all right, I'll go apply for this. I, I went in and applied with uh, Julie Ekstrom and Greg Strakosh at, at Tech Target and okay. got hired. And, you know, God bless Tech Target, man. They, they, they take kids right out of school, give them good training. 
and throw them in the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> like any good media company yeah. should. And so, uh, you know, I, I started calling. I, I represented Search CRM and Search SAP and Search Oracle. Okay. And, uh, you know, came out to the West Coast. And, uh, yeah, I ended up back in San Francisco where I started. No plan to. It was just because of Katrina. Right. And, uh, by the way, I went back to New Orleans and graduated. Loyola. That was my, like... There it is. Yeah. Lost everything in the hurricane. All my stuff. You know, but I was very fortunate, like... Didn't lose anybody I knew, anybody I loved. Sure. It's just, it was just crap, you know. It's like stuff can always be replaced. Didn't change my life at all. So, very fortunate from that because a lot of people weren't that fortunate. Right. Um, you know, it, the challenge was though I didn't know for months. There was just months you just had no idea, and then you had you kind of had survivor's guilt. Like I left, a lot of people didn't leave, and a lot of people suffered. Yep. Like so, there was there was a lot of like guilt that came with that, and I had yeah. I had buddies who didn't do school that semester and they they were like first ones in you know doing the charity work and serving people and you know so I got a lot of guilt that came out of that and um you know I no regrets in the sense that like you just can't look at life that way like um I mean if I went back maybe I would have met my wife like you know you just can't do that but doesn't mean you can't learn from it you know and so that's how I got a media sales so I you know was out here and did tech target for five years and then went over to, to IDG at the time and did the ad network stuff, and, and here I am today. And love the partner marketing side. Absolutely love it. it. Absolutely yeah. love it. Yeah. So, all right, no more hard questions for me, though. Um, <laughs> I want to, you know, just to... I mean, that was, a, you know, that was a T-ball. That was a T-ball. That was a nice question. Come on. Um, all right, so just to kind of round things out here, I got one question, then we'll close out. What do you think are the, the components of a successful partner marketing program? The components of a successful partner. And the reason why I ask that is you run a lot of programs, a lot of different companies, a lot of different initiatives. Yeah. What, are, what are some common successful things that you see in all these, these programs? Hmm. I think having an understanding of what the, of what the marketer wants to accomplish. And I think with most partner marketing, it, it really comes down to delivering qualified leads to their to their sales leaders, to their sales teams. So with that in mind, it, it, you know, I think the the biggest component that we bring to the table is having that intent, data, intelligence back behind our leads, um, and then being able to have a mix of client content and custom content that we can create um, to have that good mix of content to deliver to an audience um, so that they can engage and educate themselves and then we can nurture them along the way. Again, wherever you are in your in your kind of purchase journey, um, that's what we give you access to. We don't say that you have to start here and then come down. If you're at mid-funnel, if you're at bottom funnel in your content consumption, come in. Yeah. We're going to try to give you the top to bottom content that you can engage with, that you can educate yourself with, that you can educate your team with, um, that you can deliver back up to the, uh, the the buying committee of any purchasing team, no matter if it's only 12 people or if it's 100 people within that, um, with lots of influencers below the buying committee. Uh, I think it really comes down to having a solution that allows a um, a person, a, a content, a real person, right? That's what we try to uh, 
to strive for here is just like we're just we're not just delivering data to you, but we're delivering real people to you, right? Yeah. Um, so it's having that person being able to uh, digest and learn, right? So if we can deliver that, then that's the that's that's the success. That's where we're seeing the conversion. Um, where we're really good content, right? It's, it's it really so, starts with really yeah. good content, and the content speaks for itself. Um, it's kind of like that that self filter, you know. You can have the criteria in place, but it's really the content, and that content, our our partners, our our customers, they know where that content sits in the in, in the funnel for them. So if John Doe is reading mid to bottom funnel, they're probably pretty close. They're, this is probably getting close to what they would call an MQL, yeah. right? And they've probably gone into their own system and said, oh, actually, this guy went to one of our events. Oh, he watched one of our, our webinars. Um, so he's probably scoring higher with them. So we try to give that kind of knowledge back to our customers, and I think that's what works best. So if you can have something that um, can deliver a higher scoring lead, that's going to lead to greater success. Yeah, I can't like understate the value of content. Yeah. And, and whenever we're working with customers, you know, we get a lot of customers that come to us and just transact, which is fine. Which is fine. But they're totally underutilizing, I think, Foundry. And, and a selfish plug here, it's like a lot of these customers can have access to so much information in terms of what's working and not working from a content perspective. Because we have, we have so much research, we have editorial insights, and then we're also running like thousands of programs globally. Yeah. So we see like what content's performing and what's not. And and I try to, to like tell these marketers and, and some the smart ones, they're all smart. They're all smart. Yeah. But the the savvy ones. Careful. Yeah, Careful I know, Ricky. This is being recorded. Uh, the, <laughs> the savvy ones though will will tap into that. Yeah. And they'll be like, all right, we're thinking about this message. How is this landing? And then what do we do? We look at the editorial data. We look at the research, research data, and then we just anecdotally look across the programs we're running and give generalized information. Absolutely. And they, can, they can utilize that in their strategy, right? Because there's, I think there's nothing worse than you run a lead gen program, you did everything right, but your content misses the mark, people get halfway through that first paragraph, and then they stop reading. Right. Right. And that might be the right, that might be the best lead in terms of persons in market, they're the right title. Now your sales rep's got to follow up on that lead said, hey, saw you, notice you downloaded our white paper, and the person hated the white paper. Hated it. Yeah, and that's going to affect co conversions. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, content is king, and it's, it's delivering the right kind of content. So working with a vendor like us, with, with Foundry, because we have content specialists, because we are grounded in editorial, this is where we started 60-plus years ago, um, that gives our customers the team extension that they're looking for, that, that need, right? Uh, we can bring content specialists to, um, to the table where we can give you market insights, um, we can talk with our editorial team, we can give you access to these content specialists. Yeah. So it, it really, it, it, it makes a difference. It makes a difference when you can have a good mix, um, nothing too salesy, yeah. um, because you know the audience out there, the IT decision makers, business decision makers, they can see right through it. It's funny you say that. So a couple years ago, we, we threw a, uh, a marketing summit and we had a panel of CIOs up on stage and there was mm. a CIO of a, of a large insurance company. Yep. And he said that uh, in an average year, he downloads over, I think, 75 pieces of content. Yeah, I think he actually said 100. 
Yeah, it was a lot. And everyone, a lot. everyone's like, you're a busy CIO. How do you have time to read all that? And I think somebody asked that. He goes, I don't read them all. I, he's, he literally said, I get halfway through the first paragraph and I know if this is a sales marketing pitch or if this is a valuable resource, right. one that I'm going to come back to and share with my peers. Yep. And I, and I think that's just the way we got to think about it is like, is this a valuable resource? Is this going to add, add value to what they're doing? Or is this just full of marketing buzz and hype? Because they can see through that and it's going to hurt conversion. It's going to hurt pipeline. And that, I think we help a lot with that. Do you need to work with us on that? Not, no, not necessarily. You can create your own, but you just got to do it through the lens of, am I adding value? Is this, is this a resource that they want to share? Is this right. a resource they're going to come back to? Yep. And is it just you saying this, or is this based on any, any peer-based feedback, any market data, right? Like things that are going to help add credibility or personalize that message. Absolutely. You know? I think it's 100%. I think you know, when you look at content and you think about content, Will you share it, and will you go back to it? Yeah, absolutely. If, if you can answer yes to those two things, then you've got good content good content on you. Yeah. All right, so as we close out here, and I enjoy my, my second as you're still on your first. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Some things never change, do they? Some things never change. <laughs> um, all right, you got to leave one piece of advice. Just a casual drinker. On the road. So what is, what is one advice that you want to give to the partner marketers out there from your perspective working with hundreds of partner marketers? My advice to all of you out there. Um, I would say, you know, again, I, I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again, is just be a good co-partner. Be a good communicator. Um, know what you're representing. Um, and then content, content is king. Um, I think it, it comes in a variety of ways, but I, I'd say be a good co-partner um, and, and you know, really understand what the other side of the aisle wants from you. Uh, and I think if, if that happens, then I mean, that's where I'm seeing the most success. Um, the best partnerships and, and the best kind of better together stories um, that are going to market are the partner marketers um, that are collaborative together and it just—it's a whole different ball game. When when they're not, things just don't go the way they need to or as planned. I love it. I love it. Well, Hondo, thank you for being on the show. And, Indeed. And sh- cheers. podcast has been brought to you by IDG Communications Incorporated, doing business as Foundry. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent those of Foundry or the participants' companies.